This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Always Evolving with me, Coach Mike. This week, in honor of Pride Month, we are going to celebrate by hosting guests who not only have a platform in Hollywood, but are activists in the LGBT community and the movement that goes along with it. Today's guest is Emmy Award-winning comedy writer and actor Bruce Valanche. If you don't know who Bruce is because he's been behind the scenes, he's been around for over 30 years and written for some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry. He also has a very distinct look, so look him up online afterwards, Bruce Valanche. He's wacky, creative, and brilliant. <laughs> Welcome, Bruce. I'm devolving. So, Bruce, tell you're, you're, I, I've done a lot of research on you, and you, it's actually really hard to describe what someone would call you. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I you know, such a writer, writer slash actor, but I don't know what you would say. I mean, they made a movie about it uh, twenty years ago called Get Bruce, a documentary. Right. Uh, it was actually produced by Harvey Weinstein, who never laid a hand on me. I, was <laughs> I have. Hashtag, why not me? Hashtag, you were not his type. I was just not his type, and I was there with the open bathrobe waiting, and it was, you know, just didn't happen. But it was about, it was all about kind of deconstructing um, what I do, which is a lot of it is working with people, writing for, for comedians, and writing those great, the huge award shows. I'm the EGOT of award shows. Right, I've you've been the doing Emmys, what? The Grammys, the Tony. For like the past the 20 years, shows. right? Yeah, I've done all of that. And uh, uh, and then about 20 years ago, I uh, was the head writer on Hollywood Squares when they brought it back and they put me in the square. And so I became a famous person all of a sudden. You know, when you're on television every night, you become a famous person. And uh, and I'm clinging to that. <laughs> Why do you think you, so I guess you would say made it in Hollywood, being from New York, adopted, like, how did you make it? I have a huge penis, Mike. I don't, know how to, I don't know how better to put it. I mean, that will get you in any door. In fact, it might painfully get you in a few of the doors, but it will get you in. Uh, I didn't come out here uh, until I had a job and an agent. That's one thing. If there's anybody out there who's like looking for actual life advice, don't come to Hollywood unless you have a job and an agent waiting for you because there are 8 million other people who are here who don't have any of that. And you will be... You already are heads and shoulders above them if you show up here or something. Now, how does that happen? Well, you cultivate what you do wherever you are. If you're a writer, you write and you get published. Or now you can self-publish or you can just do it online. It's much easier now because there are so many more platforms to showcase yourself. But if you're an actor, you you build a resume in theaters and uh, and and try and get as much film on yourself as you can before you actually make the make the jump. So I did that and I came out here with a job and so people knew who I was already. And then one thing leads to another. Once you're out here, you start the networking and anybody who makes it, I mean, they're either very, very lucky or they're, mm. they're good. They're talented and they know, if, you know, 
luck is the, what does I say? Luck is the where, when um, opportunity meets preparation. Did you know you were going to do comedy writing? Yeah, because I uh, give a look. I had always been do, doing you know funny stuff. I mean, from the time I was a kid, I was a child actor. Uh, I was not a child star, or we'd be having this conversation in rehab. <laughs> but I was a child actor, and uh, uh, my parents encouraged it because they saw I was happy doing it. And uh, my father was kind of, uh, uh, my mother was kind of like, she was a, a, a showgirl manque. She, she wouldn't become a showgirl, but it, instead she got married. She married a doctor. <laughs> so he was kind of uh, amused by both of us. And, uh, and she was delighted that I, because uh, she was kind of like you know, in show business in a sort of ancillary way. I mean, she wasn't like, you know, Mama Rose and Gypsy shoving mm. me out there didn't have to shove. I was skipping along on my own, but she was always, they were always, they had my back and their only concern was that I, I would be able to make a living doing it. Mm. So they, they pushed the writing because they said, well, you could always write for a newspaper because newspapers will be around forever. <laughs> right. Who knew? So uh, that was how it happened. Since things have evolved, have you helped people write captions for social yeah. media? Yeah. Like, like, has the writing evolved into suddenly you're writing three sentences for people on Twitter? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't. I, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I twat not myself. I, uh, I don't know anybody who's on Twitter who isn't a teenage girl except Cher uh, and Trump, of course. Those are the two people who are up all night with on the toilet with thumbs. But uh, other people have people writing for them or, you know, they do it to identify their brand. Uh, it's, uh, it's nothing I, w I was ever interested in doing, but I do do it for other people. Yes. You, ha you probably have worked with so many people in Hollywood and companies and organizations. Like, is there anything in particular that bothers you the most about Hollywood? You don't need to name names, just overall thematically, what bothers you? Uh, what a, this is a very, well, I mean, you know, we live in a kind of a bubble, and I guess that that bothers me, I think. But I think that there's less and less of that. And I, my favorite example of that was uh, I was walking. I was at a, a very popular uh, show business restaurant out here. And I was walking by a table and there were two real Hollywood blondes. I mean, they were they were like Beverly Hills. They'd had the same work. <laughs> they had the same hair and all that. And as I walked by, I just heard a, a snatch of their conversation. And one woman was saying to the other, $50,000. Well, you can almost buy a car for that. And I thought, well, that's where we live. Where that, that you know. How much was it? $50,000. $50, you can almost buy a car. The idea was that $50,000 for a car is low end mm. in this crowd. And so there is a certain amount of separation from the, from the rest of the world. But what was social media? I think that that's, that's become less. Uh, that would be my my prime thing. The other thing is, as a creative person is that almost everywhere, the, um, but mostly in, in Hollywood, in television and in movies, the, the, uh, or even records, the idea of what you're doing is not art, but is product or in Silicon Valley, it's content. And when it's categorized as product or content that removes all the inspiration of the creative element from the thing. It's like, you know, well, we got to get more, you know, more little ping pong balls to, to, to stuff in this box so we can ship the thing. Uh, and there's that mentality, the show versus the business. Do you run up against that often or? 
Oh, yeah, all the time. In the old days, even in the old days, I mean, there were people that they had a love of storytelling and a love of entertaining. And somewhere along the line, the MBAs took over and it became about turning something into a growth industry. And uh, and it all became a numbers game, much more than it had been. It always was a numbers game, but there was a certain passion about what you were doing. And the passion went out of it. Mm. The money got so big that people were attracted to it because they knew they'd get so much money when they quit. You know, the, 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 the golden parachutes are right. higher in, the, in show business than any place else. So you're saying that the, the biggest challenge is it's, it's what you don't like about entertainment is there's a um, glamorizing around money. And then also instead of following the art, it becomes packaged and yeah. what other people want who aren't really passionate about the art of it. Right. Exactly. Huh. I mean, the funniest thing is that there's a lot of passion about street art and street music and all that. Uh, and that's where there's a lot of passion around those things, which are not things I particularly am crazy about. I'm not, I'm not a, a huge hip hop fan, but the people who are creating that stuff are deeply into it and, uh, and have that kind of uh, gut level passion for what they're doing that a lot of people who were not doing that kind of stuff used to have. Can you give me an example of a project looking back where you're like, I wish I could have gone here with it, but I had to go here. Almost everything. <laughs> Seriously? Well, you know, when you're, when you're creating stuff for television, you used to say, what are you doing? I'm committing television. Because you were, you were coming up with stuff that would fill the airwaves. I mean, television now is in the golden age because as a result of a Writers Guild strike in 1988, uh, the networks and the studios discovered that it was cheaper to go get a bunch of Beverly Hills housewives at dinner and have them throw a table at each other. <laughs> Uh, than it was to actually get a script written. So they stopped getting scripts written and they started going out and shooting, you know, shows with full of people on the Jersey Shore having a social disease. Right. Uh, as a result, that changed the face of television and uh, it took the streaming platforms to bring it back to a storytelling medium. So it's not, it's not just fake reality. Hmm. But I suppose, I mean, the, the kind of stuff... I mean, you know, you can just go so far with the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Hmm. You know, you can, the Star Wars holiday special can take you to a certain level, but it's not going to take you to the level of Star Wars. Right. So what, what are you most passionate about right now in terms of your work? Well, stuff I'm writing by myself, uh, for, I don't say for myself, but I'm, I'm now writing, uh, I'm now writing plays, actually. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the theater shut down. Uh, because of COVID, and it will be the last thing to open up. Mm. So, uh, um, because people will be afraid to go to those intimate spaces, I think. Uh, and also because you don't know how, what the economics of it are going to be when everything is cut in half. So, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm actually passionate about. Is writing plays. In the meantime... Developing some musicals, and so that's fun. In order to capture someone's voice, because you've written for so many different people, how do you go about finding their voice or something uh, that could work? Yeah, well, you know, you do your homework. I mean, you, it's due diligence. You, you probably do what you do. You study them. Mm. I'm lucky in that if I'm writing something for a performer, I can watch their work and I can hear their voice and write to it. Uh, and I 
always compare it to someone like Bob Mackey, where a woman walks in the room and he knows what kind of a dress she's going to look good in. That this is not somebody to put in a mermaid skirt, you know. Mm. So and and some people, you know, you don't put uh, you, you know you put redheads in green. Mm. Anyway, so it's the same kind of thing with with Braddy. You you find what fits these people literally, and uh, if you're lucky, uh, you have an ear for it and you can you can write to it. And they're giving you uh, the mannequin that you can pin stuff on. Right. I mean, someone like. Well, I you know, like that Midler, who I worked with for since the dawn of time, and evolved a character that she plays called the Divine Miss M on stage. You can write to that character. Uh, if they if, if they're people who work on stage, you can do that. If they're movie stars, it's harder to do that because they they have a movie star persona that they use in each character, but they never have to come out on stage and and say hello, folks, hello, hello, Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> In, in in the research I was doing on you and watching your videos, like I saw your that very funny your comedy routine when you talked about cats at uh, in the conversation at the dinner table. But also you talked about um, the term faggot in Hollywood. Yeah, I did. I do. Will you elaborate on that? Because I think it's really interesting what you had to say about it. Well, I read an article. There was a historian, a guy named Merle Miller, who was very well regarded and wrote the uh, biography of Harry Truman that is a and all the, the historical references used. And uh, he was gay, and he wrote a piece for the New York Times some, some years ago, many years ago now, uh, that said, uh, a faggot is a homosexual gentleman who's just left the room. Mm. And I thought, well, I'm going to be that, that guy. I'm going to be the one. If you say, if you talk about, I'm going to say, if you say such, such a, so-and-so is a faggot, whatever, I will say, you know, I'm the faggot. And when you talk about faggots, you're talking about me. Because when you put a face to it, it, it they have a hard time dealing with it. Uh, it's very easy to hate in the abstract, mm. but uh, when it's when it's put to them that I am one of you, I am a human being. You know, I'm, I'm like uh, Shylock in the Merchant of Venice, prick me and I bleed. So I decided that was what I was going to do, and I've done it ever since. And in fact, what we've seen is as the translation of that in the real world is as people come out. And suddenly there are gay people all over the place. Somebody said, where did all these gay people come from all over the place? I said, well, the mothership landed and we all got out. But it's uh, the way they do it is you just come out and they, they can't ignore you. And that's what pride's all about. That's what all of this stuff is all about. And the end result was marriage equality, which is uh, the only thing that guarantees our uh, rights as first class citizens. Every, they could discriminate every which way. But once you can get married, it's hard for it to discriminate. Mm-hmm. You know, the last bastion of uh, discrimination is is fundamentalists of every religion who are, uh, you know, vainly carrying on this campaign to have the Bible guide, to have the Bible, which they misread, guide everything in every in everybody's life. So. There was that high-minded enough. <laughs> no, it's 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 interesting because I think you probably have been through so many evolutions of you know first it's gay, then it's LG, then it's LGB, then it's LGBT, then it's LGBTQ. There's nothing wrong the, with just gay for all of it in my mind, but uh-huh. it's such a fractionalized community, and everybody wants a place at the table. So they, you know, the way just keep adding initials. I mean, pretty soon it'll be totally unpronounceable. (laughs) 
I was on the board of the LA Gay and Lesbian Center, which is now the LALGBT Center, uh, for 22 years. And during that time, we had three name changes because as each group came in, they had to be represented in the name. You think it's unnecessary? Uh, well, I don't because, uh, you know, that's my white privilege, right? That's my white gay, my white gay male privilege. Uh, I just thought gay was sort of all-inclusive for, for everybody who was the, the other, queer, different. But I discovered that a lot of people have a lot of a lot at stake in their singular identity, whatever that happens. Uh, being noticed, being seen, being recognized. Yeah. And see I, at the I table. mean, I'm not going to, you know, welcome. I, I mean, you know, tell me what to call you. I'm happy. <laughs> And, and to wrap, I, I want uh, the listeners to have some form of a takeaway because a lot of our listeners write or are aspiring to write or yeah. would love to make it and, and love to be able to do what you do, right? Uh, but they don't realize you've been doing this for 30 plus years. A long time. <laughs> so what are some do's and don'ts besides an agent and a manager that you would recommend for someone really looking to write in comedy or get into comedy um, in today's world? Comedy is a, a particular form. I mean, and it kind of requires that you be funny. And a lot of people are not funny. Do a lot of people, th let me ask you, do a lot of people think they're funny and they're not? Yes. Neil Simon was not a funny guy. Neil Simon, who's probably the most successful comedy writer in history, uh, was, was not... Uh, not particularly funny. He was kind of milk toast looking, you know. He uh, he came up in New York in the fifties with Woody Allen and Mel Brooks, who are funny people, and, but they're performers. And Neil was not a performer, but he wrote some of the funniest stuff ever written. Mm. And so, you, if you want to be a comedy writer, you have to. The stuff has to be funny. You don't have to be funny, but the stuff has to be funny. So, but when I say be funny, that's what I mean in the general sense. Think funny or. Uh, it, it should be there on the page. Uh, so that's that's the first thing you have to tell comedy people. And the second thing you have to tell people who want to do it is you will you will have to give it away at the beginning. You're going to have to Explain let that. a lot of people do your stuff or you will have to do your stuff for a lot of for no money for a while before somebody cat, catches on. And then you realize that you actually are a, a saleable commodity or worth something. Or worth something. You know, yeah, right. In the 80s and the 90s, a lot of stand-up comics became billionaires off of TV series based on their act. Roseanne, Jerry Seinfeld, Ray Romano, uh, yeah, so Tim right. Allen. They, they became, yeah. And so a lot of people thought, oh, I can do that. And so as a result, because stand-up was also cheap to present, there were all of a sudden, there were clubs in every strip mall in, in the world. Yuck yucks and hoo ha's and fun phones and all those places. And those have all died away because the craze is over and because uh, there weren't that many funny people <laughs> who were leaping into television success. The model changed. So uh, there, there's kind of less that. I used to get a lot of people who said, I want to be a stand up. And, you know, they were, I said, Are you, have you ever performed? Are you like, if I went to your house for Thanksgiving, would you be the highlight of the evening? <laughs> Uh, you know, or would it be uh, your uncle arguing uh, in favor of Trump before he fell asleep from the trip to fan in the turkey? 
which would it be? Right. And of course, they were never the ones who who made it. And, and I guess the response is, if someone's a funny comedy writer, the receiving end of whatever you do in today's market, you either get shared or people talk about it or oh, they yeah. say, oh, my God, that made me laugh. Yeah. And I mean, now on social media, I mean, I, you know, sometimes I'll read people's posts that are funny and, and I'll think, well, this guy could have a career, uh, you know, if he wanted to or. And then, so then I'll find it's barred from something else. Or do you ever pick talent? Like for do, where people literally audition to write for you in projects? No, you know that uh, you kind of are. Has, you kind of are the show. Yeah, you're the show because I I never went in for producing. But I'm saying uh, if someone I, brings, I never in, wanted to produce. I wanted that to be somebody else's headache. But if someone brings in Bruce Val- Valanche, yeah. Um, <laughs> if someone brings you in, you are the hub. The inspiration, the creative, the ideas, yeah. the flow—you own it. Yeah, you're not bringing in writers. Well, if it's just me, yeah. But I mean, on the Oscars, for example, when I was a head writer, uh, I would I would be in charge of bringing in the staff. But by that point, I knew a lot of people who I wanted to have because I knew they were funny and I knew their work. However, there were a couple of occasions where we were working closely with the host, and the host didn't know who they, these writers were. And so I had to, they had to uh, assemble a sample package and the host read them and, and realized that they were the right, that they were great to, to do it. Sometimes they trusted me without it, but sometimes they wanted to know for themselves. And those are probably the only times where I've actually had to do it, where I've actually had to ask somebody to submit. But I've been asked to submit, you know, all the time. Mm. I mean, I'm not anymore. When, they, when I'm asked now, I realize that the people who are asking are probably 12 years old and don't have any idea who I am, or they, they're too tired to Google. <laughs> In which case, I don't think I want to work with them. So, Well, well, Bruce, thank you for, uh, for coming on Always Evolving. You were the first comedy writer and comedian. Oh, baby. Oh, this is the beginning taste of a- maker. Oh. I would ask, I actually, you know, the, you know the, my least favorite part of doing these podcasts is my intro and my outro. Will you do my outro for me? But your outro for you, yes. Please. <laughs> Please. What did we learned today from Bruce Valanche. What color do you think he uses? Schwartz Club 23? That would be my guess. <laughs> I think for all of you aspiring comedians out there, or, or comic, not so much comedians, but comic writers, what we've learned today is get funny glasses, have a signature look, Gain 200 pounds immediately, and there might be a place for you in the carnival. And you can be a badass just like Bruce Valanche. Click to subscribe, download. Be an influencer. uh, Make some magic happen. Hi, yes. I drink Diet Snapple. Do I get paid? (laughs) You will now.